Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Startup Hustle with Matt Watson and Matt DeCourcy. Hi, Matt. Hey, how's it going today, man? I'm doing pretty good, man. I am. Uh, I'm really excited about today. I, I'm excited to uh, learn a little more about artificial intelligence. I am too. I'm hoping to replace you as my co-host with that. And with that, yeah, that's right. I have some ulterior motives here. Do I get unemployment? Yes. To replace me? Yeah, it's based on your current wage here with the podcast. So, <laughs> so I get nothing. You actually have to pay money to quit <laughs> your job. Anyway, hey. All right, I'm, I'm going to let uh, I'm going to let AI take over then. I think. Let's do it. Well, we have an actual human with us that's going to tell us a little bit about AI. I'm going to introduce Josh Montgomery from Mycroft. Hi, Josh. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So, uh, anyway, we're glad to have you in. Uh, for those of you that are listening, Mycroft is a open voice assistant. Has some. AI elements to it, uh, located here in Kansas City, although it is definitely a worldwide product right now. Josh, tell us a little bit more about this thing, man. Sure. So we're shipping a uh, open alternative to Siri and Alexa. So the idea is that voice assistants and voice technologies will be very, very important uh, to the future of human machine interfaces, to how we how we work with computers and and the internet in the future, and that everybody who isn't Google and Apple and Amazon needs to have access to the same technologies that big tech has. Okay. I, I've spent a little time uh, poking through Mycroft. I think it's pretty cool that, you know, what you guys are doing is an open source project and that presents a lot of really cool stuff that Matt Watson could probably explain way better than me. But that's kind of the premise of what you guys are doing is, is allowing people to train Mycroft to do whatever they need to do. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. The idea being that you want to use a voice assistant that represents you and has a custom experience. You know, it might have the voice, a custom voice that you want, or it might have a certain personality that you want. Uh, and the ability to open the hood and look inside uh, helps not only with customization, but also with privacy. So do you have, can you talk to us about, um, what kind of integrations you have with Mycroft? Like, does it automatically integrate with things like Spotify and all that sort of stuff? Or what? And obviously, it's open source, so people can make it do whatever they want. But like, what kind of integrations does it have? So that's a great question. the The Mycroft stack is being built to be flexible and integrate with anybody who's amenable to it. So, you know, the Apple HomePod starts shipping on February 9th. And if you read the reviews of that, you can see that the only streaming music that they're supporting out of the box is, of course, Apple Apple's music channel. And you've seen similar things happen in the ecosystems from some of the other tech giants. Uh, it's our idea to do integrations with anybody or any service that people want to use. So out of the box, they've got Pandora working, they've got Spotify working, they've got YouTube working. Uh, in terms of being able to play it on devices, uh, they've got uh, Chromecast, and I believe there's a Roku skill that's that's being stood up right now to be able to use Roku as a, as a destination. So the idea is to build something that is the Switzerland of the space, right. where we, we don't have an axe to grind in any of the ecosystem wars the goal is to provide users with a great experience. So one of the things I think that's really fascinating about this. By the way, I want to say thank you. 
uh, you know, several years ago. And for the people that have listened to this podcast, they know I don't like my Alexa. It doesn't understand anything that I say. And one of the things I find, it's like the very first one that came out, maybe, I don't know, my sister gave it to me. I'm waiting to fire her and replace it with Mycroft. But one of the biggest things that annoys me is I am basically piped into listening to Amazon's music stuff. Yeah, I don't have any songs there. Like, you know, I have a huge library anywhere else, but it's just not very intuitive. So I love the fact that we can do that. Sorry, Matt. So I was going to ask, love to hear more about how you got started with this, why you started this. Yeah, what made you want to build this thing? Sure. So I I have another business. I own an internet service provider in Lawrence, Kansas. And if you know anything about internet service, you know, when we were first building it, it was really exciting. We we were doing gigabit fiber of the home before Google made it cool, right? And, uh, you know, we were out on the bleeding edge, but over time, as you know, those technologies have developed, it started to be a utility, which is if you live in startup world, um, a bit boring. So I joined the air force in 2008. And a few years after that, I got bored again and, uh, decided to start a makerspace. And so I was really inspired by actually Dave Dalton's, uh, uh hammer space here in, in Kansas city. Uh, what do Dave, they, what do they do there? Uh, Dave does everything from, uh, building awesome costumes. Uh, people come into his place and build costumes, uh, robots, uh, racing cars, uh, you know, like 3d printing. Yeah. He's got 3d printing, a wood shop, metal shop. People do furniture. People build toys. I mean, uh, field trip. Yeah. You, you guys should absolutely go visit hammer space. Uh, it is incredible and it's, it really revolves around Dave. I mean, Dave is the kind of the center of, of the, of the facility and is just an immensely creative maker that does all kinds of projects. And, uh, you know, we were inspired to do something similar in Lawrence and, and Dave had this technology called Iris, which was kind of this hacked together Microsoft based piece of software and hardware that had a bunch of push buttons that he could make announcements and stuff in his makerspace. And I, I saw that and it was, you know, Iron Man's always been a, a big inspiration as well. And I was like, you know, like we can do so much better. And, uh, and so we set out to build Jarvis from Iron Man in our makerspace so that we could be like, Hey, you know, I want to watch this movie on the TV or, Hey, can you pull up the schematic? Or, uh, we even had a laser pointer hooked to a bunch of servos, uh, where you could say, show me where the hammer is. And it would change the laser pointer and point the laser pointer at where the hammer is on the, in the lasers. Room. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> And so we wanted to do that and, and we went out looking and this is before Echo was really a thing. I think they were actually shipping, but I'd never heard of it. Uh, we went looking to see if, you know, we could take Siri or Google Assistant and use them the way we wanted to use them. And what we found was all that technology was locked up. It was all proprietary. You couldn't customize it. There was no ability to build new things. So uh, we set out to do it. And uh, it originally was an open source project. So we got a, a Raspberry Pi. Uh, and for those of you out there who want to experiment with anything, all startups and maker projects should start with the Raspberry Pi. And what is that? Uh, it's a little $35 credit card size computer uh, that's got a bunch of I.O. So you can you control lights and, and control, uh, uh, you know, get input from sensors and things. Uh, it's used by kids and STEM projects. I sell um, millions of them a year. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic little single board computers. Um, they've got Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, Ethernet, USB, like they're very inexpensive and you can use them for all kinds of things. People use them for alarm clocks. They use them for specialty maker projects. Um, they use them as servers. I mean, some people do. Uh, great little piece of tech. And so we were using those and we had a Raspberry Pi and a speaker and a microphone and a monitor and a keyboard. And it was like this Medusa 
tangle of cables on everybody's desk who was working on it. And I said, I, you know, this doesn't seem to work. So I went back in the, in the uh, makerspace and I 3D printed a little hockey puck size enclosure. And we kind of scratched our heads and looked at that and said, I wonder if anybody wants to buy it. And, you know, when you talk about startup, you know, one of the biggest wastes of resources that's possible is when somebody gets an idea in their head that they want to pursue and independent of market demand, they go and invest a lot of time, money, and effort in building a solution to a problem that nobody cares about or that nobody's willing to pay to have solved. We, we've spent a lot of time actually talking about that, Josh. Very Just key point. Like the, the first ingredient needs to be a problem that needs to be solved. And with that, just because you're solving a problem, it doesn't always mean that it's monetizable. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that when you look at what you guys are building, first off, it's really cool. I've got to point out and, and go back. So you joined the Air Force because you were bored? Uh, I was bored and I was getting old. So uh, <laughs> it's a good time to join. I mean, I'm just curious, like, but, you know, for those of you that aren't, clearly aren't here with us, you know, Josh, you seem like a very uh, driven and, and uh, interesting guy. I don't run into a lot of people in their adult years that join the Air Force because they're bored. But so you, you clearly have taken on some giants along the way here. You have some huge competition. Yeah, but solving boring, small problems is boring and small. You know what I mean? Like the, the um, take on a cable provider and all of a sudden everybody else seems you know, friendly by comparison. Sure. So, uh, uh, so, so yeah. The, so you're kind of trained to compete with giants at this point, or at least that's the mentality, like with an internet service provider company, you're going to run into that. At yeah. Anywhere, like we, we are always fighting with the cable company. And then because the cable company owned the newspaper, vice versa, they all won one organization, you know, our press coverage looked exactly like you would expect it to when the primary source of revenue for the company is the cable company and you're trying to compete. And so, you know, we did that for a number of years. And, you know, one of the things I love about Mycroft is I'm, you know, unlike the ISP where I can only provide service where we have infrastructure and it costs me, you know, in some cases, thousands of dollars to turn on each customer. I can sell a Mycroft unit to somebody in Bangladesh and drop it in the mail and ship it today. Like, and with the software, it's even easier. You know, they just download it through the interweb and, and away they go. So, um, so how did you go from this idea and a prototype to deciding to make this a business? Uh, Kickstarter was really where we got started is we, we looked at the little hockey puck size speaker that we were making and we said, I wonder if anybody wants to buy it. And, you know, because we were running the makerspace and doing a, a bunch of things around entrepreneurship, our, our makerspace is actually called the Lawrence Center for Entrepreneurship. Um, the idea being it's a place where you can come to start a business and, um, uh, People kept coming and talking to us about, hey, I want to do a Kickstarter for insert terrible idea. And we'd never done one. And so we were like, okay, well, this is an opportunity to learn. And so we, we you know, started building a team, you know, a, a graphic designer to help us with the website. Uh, we were fortunate to, I provide service for a, a gentleman named Earl Schweppe. Uh, Earl uh, was messing around with computer systems in the 40s, like uh, former NSA, uh, taught at KU for 30 years in their computer science department. And uh, he used to just kind of chat us up when we were doing fiber projects in his neighborhood. And so finally, I was like, you know, Earl, I'm going to put fiber to your home. So Earl, Earl's house is the only house in the whole neighborhood It's got that has 96 count single mode fiber pulled to the house with gigabit full duplex service. And he pays like 23 bucks a month for it, um, just because he's such an entertaining guy. 
And Earl said, oh, my grandson, Derek, did a Kickstarter. And we looked Derek up, and he'd run the biggest Kickstarter ever to come out of Kansas. And it did like $55,000, $60,000. So we, we called him and said, hey, do you want to join our team? And he now he's now our chief of design. He's an a industrial design instructor at KU, is, was his day job, and he's now full-time with us. So anyway, we brought in the team. Uh, we... You know, Derek helped me to refine the design to something that was a little cuter and more attractive. If you've seen the Mark One, you can mm-hmm. get kind of inspired by Wally and Eva and ET. And we went to Kickstarter, and it turns out that people wanted to buy it. We raised one hundred and twenty-seven thousand five hundred and twenty dollars from one thousand one hundred and twenty backers, um, and that's really, you know, what started the company. And, and at, at this point, you hadn't built a single one of these, right? Nope. We had built zero. And the software was entirely movie magic. And so, uh, you know, we spent a grand total of about $3,000 doing the original Kickstarter. And for us, it was, you know, it was market validation. Is this, is this how you funded all this? Or had were you already in the process of raising money along the way? It's actually a really good question. I, so I get a lot of, I get a question all the time, like, how much do you have in it? Because, you know, a lot of times investors are like, they don't want to invest in a company where the entrepreneur basically hasn't leveraged their house, borrowed all mom and dad's money, and is like in it up to their eyeballs. Uh, the answer to, answer to that question really should be zero. Um but because there was an expense outstanding when we converted from the LLC to the C Corp, we have like two grand stuck in it that we couldn't figure out how to extract. And so, uh, uh, yeah, we, we, it's entirely, it, entirely funded originally by customers. And then as things became more interesting, increasingly by outside investors. Um, so when, when you were raising money for this, so one of the, one of the more popular questions that Matt and I run into is how do I raise money for my projects? So, you know, there's a 10 million objections that you're going to run into along the way. What were some of the challenges that you had raising money and what would be a little advice that you could give to the future founders about how to do a better job of it? Sure. So, uh, traction is what raises money. Um, so there's two ways to raise money. In the Midwest, it's traditionally traction. So you need to actually have the business moving forward. You need to demonstrate that there are customers that want to buy your product. You need to demonstrate that you're making forward motion with your product. And for Midwest investors, it's been my experience that they're much more interested in a company that's got revenue and is already moving forward, which for people who are doing big things like where our project is, you know, there's no way our technology works out of the box. Like it is a multi-year, multi-million dollar investment to get it working at all. Right. And so we didn't really fit with the traditional, you know, Midwest investor and which is why we raised most of our money from the coasts and internationally. Um, the other way to raise money traditionally is to have a resume. So if you've had, you know, you worked at Google, right. Or you had a big exit at a prior company, generally you can find investors who are willing to write checks because you're you, right. You've demonstrated the competence, um, you know, those are really the the two paths and it kind of depends on what community you're in. You know, the, the you know, I view us as a big play, um, you know, that has a really huge potential upside, but it's really risky and we're making big investments up front before we have a lot of customers, um, which is more in line with what Facebook did, right? Like we'll build a great network, Google, the same thing. We'll build a great search engine. We'll build a big big network of users and we'll worry about monetization on down the line. Let's focus on the technology and the user base. Right. Um, the alternative is Groupon, right. Which was printing money when they went out to go and raise money because they already had a functional product 
and uh, they already had a bunch of customers and they were already effective in the market. It's really telling that Groupon raised all their money in Chicago and Facebook raised all their money in Palo Alto, right? These are two different investment communities. So in terms of how to get started, traction, like, do you have a customer? Do you have a uh, high profile team? Uh, Do you have a product in the market that you can demonstrate? Um, You really need to start moving the ball forward. And one of the beautiful things about Kickstarter is you can have an idea, you can take it to a certain point where it's credible that you'll be able to deliver it, and you can raise your hand and say, does anybody want to buy this? Does anybody want to back this this project? Is it interesting enough that you're willing to actually spend money on it? And you'll find an answer. And the best answer that you can get is no. Like going out and doing a failed Kickstarter is fantastic because it means you're not going to invest a bunch of time and effort and money and reputation in something that nobody wants to buy. Uh, Now, you've got something on Kickstarter right now that we can buy, right? We do. We have a a version two on Kickstarter. So our version one, we shipped it in July of this year. We were really happy with that. We shipped, I think, 1,500 units uh, by the time the Mark One's done and will be about 2,000. Uh, the Mark One was really designed for hackers and makers because it was designed for us. Um, and it was designed to seed this community of developers around the technology. Uh, the Mark II is a consumer product designed for grandma. And so the Mark II is really designed to be in the market and sit side by side with an Apple HomePod or a, uh, a Google Home unit or an Amazon uh, Echo and to be able to provide that same experience. But with the important differentiation that you know we're, we are looking to support all of those ecosystems if we can. And we have a strong focus on privacy. You know, you're not going to walk through your kitchen and mention that it's cold outside and all of a sudden get a bunch of ads for gloves and hats with our technology. Whereas with some of those other technologies, there's intellectual property that those companies have been developing around things like listening 24 hours a day and advertising and doing some other stuff. That's I didn't even realize that and that Alexa was listening and recording me all the time until I started reading about Mycroft. And I was like, man, I just don't know if I like that. Yeah, I don't I don't really know. It's not like I'm really having discussions about anything, but I mean, come on, it's not I don't really need them, you know, piping in on everything. But my my big my big question and concern for you though is I don't feel like that's enough. How do you mean? I don't think that's enough of a differentiation to 99% of the population. That's, and I'm one of those persons. People, really, I'm like, if Alexa listens to me, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah. well, I got, I'm not, over, I'm not I got over it. I'm planning like on robbing a the, bank tomorrow. I didn't throw it out I don't the window, care. but I also didn't like it. Because my, know, my yeah. father-in-law, on the other hand, is one of these people. Mm-hmm. He, he would wear an aluminum hat all day. But well, me, I'm like, I got nothing to hide. If the government wants to track me all day, whatever. I don't you, care. You bring up a really salient point, which is people who care about privacy aren't going to put a network-connected microphone in their kitchen, right? right? Regardless yeah. of whether you promise that's privacy or not. But, that, but how big of the market is that? That's the key. And so right? that, that's, a, that's a good question. And, and Amazon's estimated that the global market for smart speakers by 2022 would be $4.8 billion just for the speakers, with uh, voice assistance being about a $15 billion industry going forward. Um, for us, it's not really about the consumer product. Like the consumer product, we're building to build a community and to support our community and to provide a reference design for them to develop. Uh, for us, the real customers are a big business that competes with Amazon and Google and Facebook and others. Well, and, and so that's why when I think about this, I think your your target market is all the commercial purposes, yep. the commercial usage. It's not consumer. It's how do I go to the Ford plant and help Ford employees use something like this that they would customize, you know, on the assembly line or whatever, right? Like, how do you commercially use this 
mm-hmm. and not try and compete with Alexa because Ford's probably not going to put Alexa on their assembly line. Do you know someone right? in this room? But they probably would this. Do you know yeah, someone you know in I mean? this room's already working on that? Yeah. You? Yeah. We're we're we've been checking out Mycroft to see how it could work with Gigabug in the context of a business. I was shocked at the capability that you guys have down the road, like certain things like possibility of maybe having it answer a phone and have someone go through a booking or just do different Mm -hmm. things that, you know, if you look at at a business that's busy and all of a sudden you even just have something that says you have a new appointment or letting you know, like Mm -hmm. you have an appointment in five minutes or being able to say, Hey, cancel my three o'clock or send another reminder to Tony Thompson. I I see the most value in this is as it moves from being a, cute consumer thing to something that actually helps the workforce be more productive in those scenarios, right? Like, I think it's a great interface too. Like, you, you know, I used to work for Roland and Roland's the world's largest manufacturer of electronic musical instruments. Mycroft would be a great fit for like so many of the things that they do and the connectivities there wasn't there when I worked for it. Cause you know, we're still using MIDI cables and stuff, but you know, I think the, you know, if you spend enough time with me, you're going to hear me talk about completing the sales equation. And I think that Mycroft's a good fit for a lot of stuff because it gives other products the ability to maybe overcome objections that are prohibiting them from making sales to large groups of people. Like kind of like you were talking about, you talking about productivity. I also saw it as like a possibility for like education. You look at, and I have no reason to mention this chain, but you have like Kumon math centers who has 28,000 places. Like look at a place like that. I would buy it if I thought my kid was going to talk to it and go over the lessons. Because I'm just not really that great of a parent, maybe. But no, but the thing is, it's like, and it frustrates me because, you know, we've had this discussion. My kid tries to sit there and talk to Alexa and it's just, ne- I don't, now you pointed <laughs> out that if Alexa did understand my kid, I'd have a completely different problem. Yes, but, you would. But no, but my point is, is like some of these like accentuating things that something like this can but do, if, I find it be really but the, interesting. But the problem is, is if you're Kumon and you're like, okay, we can build this and when our students go home, they can use this to further, you know, extend the training. But if ninety nine percent of the people have Alexa at home, they're yeah. gonna be, they're gonna integrate Alexa to do that, right? They're not gonna integrate Mycroft to do that. That's it's, yeah, it, it's no different than creating an app for a mobile phone. Like nobody's gonna make an app for Windows Mobile anymore, mm-hmm. right? It, it's for so, the market. So I should shut is. that project down unless unless there's a more custom use for it, right? right. And where it's a very a highly customized solution and it's not like a real simple little thing and, and people got to be willing to pay for it. Right. What are people using Mycroft for right now? Like what's the thing oh, that like man. really, I, and I'm sure it's like this massive spread, but like what are yeah. some of the things that pop out that you either think are the most creative or you're like, wow, I never even thought of that. So we did an integration with Jaguar Land Rover into their F-Type sports car. Um, so a voice assistant that lives within the car and allows you to control the vehicle. Perfect. And and that's important because, you know, our friends uh, at Google uh, through Alphabet are building cars uh, with Waymo, right. right? And, you know, the automakers that I've talked to look at that and say, you know, Google is an existential threat to our business. Right. Like they are going to disrupt the automotive industry and... I don't want to send all my data to them, people. And so the... Oh, sorry, gosh. It is 12.15, and SpaceX is going to launch a rocket <laughs> in 15 minutes. Um, so uh, down in... Mycroft, hold off the launch, please. Well, that is a uh, that is actually a... Uh, 
a, a target market that we would like to get is Tesla. And then, you know, in an ideal world, we would be the hell 9,000 of the, of the private space industry, right? Like, you know, our friends at Amazon who own Blue Origin are going to be putting a voice assistant into the Glen. You know, what's Elon going to put in the, in the uh, Falcon, the Falcon 9? And, and the answer should be a voice assistant like Mycroft. Uh, certainly, uh, both Tesla and SpaceX have a penchant for using open technology, so maybe there's a path there. But uh, If I could find technology that would prohibit my wife from needing to use the restroom every 30 minutes on a road trip, pay any price. Yeah, there is. It's a Gatorade bottle, brother. Yeah, I don't think that would work. <laughs> <laughs> so the... Uh, 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 so anyway, so automotive is a big industry for us. Uh, call centers are a future touch point for us. Um, places where, you know, General Dynamics in, in Lawrence uh, has a thousand call center workers that answer questions about the FAFSA. Uh, you know, when we work with Sprint, uh, we came through the Sprint Accelerator here in Kansas City. We found that they have something like 90% of their call volume was 25 questions and building a voice assistant that's an expert. So you build into a voice menu into the phone system so that it doesn't even get to the call center. Yeah, when it picks up, it says, you know, hi, yeah. Matt. I see that you called. So that's a whole ago. different market you'd have to compete in, right? Because there, there's obviously companies that do that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's a whole different market segment. It is, but the technologies that are available today don't make use of a lot of the machine learning and a lot of the other the other components that we've got. Uh, and importantly, you know, we have a giant community surrounding Mycroft that's building new skills and building right. new abilities. Yep. And so the, uh, you know, the technology. Uh, the technology stacks that exist today are really ripe for disruption. And even if it's another company that does it, right, there's a really strong chance that they do it based on the technologies that we've published. Right. Because why would you, you would be insane to start from, like, I was insane to start from scratch. You know, if you look at Amazon's technology, it took them four years, three acquisitions, $150 million, and they have 5,000 people working on the Alexa project, you know, to go and build a similar technology, is nuts unless you have a big open source community around it, in which case it does make sense. So, I mean, you, you have a similar problem that we have at, at Stackify, right? I mean, our audience is potentially millions of developers. Mm-hmm. Um, but our biggest problem is trying to sell to all of them, mm-hmm. right? And it's trying to figure out, we talk about this all the time, Matt, you know, where's our herd? Where's our, our community that we we fit the best with? And because we have competition too. And we talk about this a lot now about being cowards, Right? How do we yep. be cowards and go where Alexa or Google Assistant or whoever it is doesn't want to be? It's not their market, oh, and yeah. and trying to find a toehold there because, like you said, like you can't compete with five thousand developers in this giant company and unlimited marketing budget and all these things. It's trying to figure out where your niche is. Exactly. It, it, it was actually a prior guest. It was the founder of CarStar that had came in here, Laryl Holt, and we asked. We said, Laryl, tell us about yourself. He goes, Well, I'm really just a coward. And I was like, oh, what is this? But what he said, like, really kind of changed the perspective about the way we looked at a lot of stuff. I thought that was really interesting. You know, another prior guest had used the term time arbitrage, uh, Blake uh, from uh, right. Homebase, and talking about, like, he's very, feels very strong. You can't make more time. You have a finite amount of it. So, you know, my first book, Balance Me, is all about replacing low-value activity with things that get you towards your goals. That's like pretty much the premise of the whole book, but you have X amount of time. People say, I don't have enough time to do this. No, you're just not using your time correctly. And I love the components of 
the AI. Now, I would like to talk about that a little bit. How, what does Mycroft learn? Like, what is Mycroft seeking to learn from its interactions with me? So today, the machine learning components uh, focus on the, the simplest pieces of the interaction. So we have a library called Precise that's responsible for the wake words. So, you know, when you get an inadvertent activation and a user has opted in, and that's important, like for us, we collect zero unless the user explicitly comes in and says, I want to share my data to improve the technology. We know nothing. We do not keep any data. Do We don't have access to any data. It doesn't even exist. If I get a FISA warrant, we can't serve it. We don't have it, right? But for people who do opt in, uh, we collect the wakeward sample. So if somebody says, hey, Microsoft, and it triggers, uh, we have a the precise library allows us to say, okay, that was incorrect. If they say, hey, Mycroft, we say yes, and we're building a large data set surrounding that. Um, we're also building a tool or have built a tool called Persona uh, where we actually get the query. And so if you ask the technology, what's your favorite color, right, which is a subjective question, uh, it gets fed to Persona, and we're building community tools that allow the community to have a discussion and decide that Mycroft's favorite color is blue, for example, and actually have opinions of things um, and build different personas for different people. Some people might prefer a device that's favorite color is red, right? Um, and this allows people to, to customize the experience based on um, their answers to whatever questions are coming from the community. What about routine things in your life? Like, for example, you get up at uh, 8, 8 a.m. every Wednesday. Does it learn anything like that? Does it know like, hey, do you want to wake up tomorrow at 8? Or does it just kind of figure it out eventually? Or? Yeah, we have a community actually. This is an open source initiative from from the volunteer community that is doing that, where they're recognizing that you're making the same query in the same time frame every day. So let's say you get up every day and you ask it for the weather. Uh, and after it's sampled enough times, it'll actually come to you and say, hey, would you like me to read you the weather every day at 830? You ask at the same time every day, right? Um, and so uh, there's a lot of work going on there. Uh, I think know, that's a commercial application all over. Like, think about the time arbitrage or the ability for a business owner. Like, the hardest thing that business owners deal with is delegating tasks and getting the people that work there, A, to care, but B, to actually do things when they need to do it. And I can see that actually being very helpful in franchise models and different places that have to have certain things done at the same time. Is it possible to run the Mycroft um, voice assistant on something besides your device? Like, yes. Can you potentially run it on a phone or something? So our vision is an AI that runs anywhere and interacts exactly like a person. So our vision isn't for specific applications. You know, I was talking to the guys the other day and really, you know, sometimes you have to communicate both to your customers, your investors and your employees, like what the vision is. And, you know, we're having discussions kind of down in the weeds about the individual skills. And I had to pull them back up and say, hey, guys, Minecraft is an operating system which is why it's so broad, right? It can run in call centers or in cars. It can run in a speaker or a guitar amp, right? Because um, it's effectively an operating system. And you can build skills that narrow it down to be an expert in, you know, turn the volume up to 11, right? I like that. Um, or build skills that make it an expert in what's the tire pressure in the front right tire, right? But ultimately, the conversational component that allows you to access information via voice and have a back and forth conversation, it's an OS level thing. It's an operating system. And so the idea is to make that OS run anywhere. So, you know, when you were talking about distribution issues earlier, like 90% of people have an echo, you're right, but everyone has a cell phone. Right. And when we ship 1902 in February next year, we'll ship a, an Android and iOS app that'll allow it to run on your phone. Um, you know, the, 
the concept is that no matter where you're interacting with it, when you speak to it, it's just like me talking to my assistant, John, right? Set up a call, set up a meeting. Do you, you know, he calls me and says, Hey, you got an email. Do you want to, yes or no? Do you want to take this? You want to take this interview? Right. Uh, and I respond and it goes away and does the job for me. The question that we're trying to ask and answer at the same time is given that this technology is coming and it absolutely is, there's no doubt. That's exactly what Amazon's chasing. It's what Google's chasing. It's what uh, Steve was chasing before he passed away with Siri. I don't know if Apple's gone off track or not, but, but that was clearly the intent. Um, it's coming. You'll be able to talk to your devices. You'll be having a back and forth conversation. And for a lot of people, just like your kids talking to Alexa, they're going to have trouble determining whether it's a person, right? right? And it, the, the user experience is going to get that real. So the question becomes, when you talk to that person, do you want that person to represent a big tech company? Or do you want that person to represent you? When you ask it for a rideshare, do you want the one that paid big tech to be the rideshare provider of choice, despite the fact that their cars are further away, cost more, and have a poor safety history? Or do you want the rideshare that's nearest to you, the least expensive, and has the best safety? And you know, that's the question that we're trying to answer. And for a certain percentage of the population, they're going to be completely fine with big tech solution. But for me personally, I want my assistant to represent me. When I get a call at 10 o'clock at night, I want it to be my mom who got through my filter because my dad was sick. I don't want it to be a salesman who got through my filter because they paid big tech to get through my, my voice block. Sure. Right. So I think the big question for Matt Watson is, have you considered getting Mycroft and trying to train it to beat me at Rochambeau yet? Well, does it have uh, vision capabilities? Uh, the new one will have a camera. We just announced okay. that this week. So, so something you don't know about this podcast is Matt is the Cleveland Browns of rock, paper, scissors. And I, I have you on on the show, like actually on the air. You always beat me when it comes to pain for lunch, but <laughs> there's never anything that proves that. So I, I, I kind of figured you were already working, you know, being the, the technical co-founder of this podcast, you were probably already working up some well, kind of algorithm. Maybe next December when I get a Mycroft Mark II that's got the vision built into it, I can use some machine learning and recognize your hand movements and beat you. I still think I'll beat it. I can I, train Mycroft to always beat you. I I'm mean, people have add, done this before. I've seen you. Well, here's the thing is I'm, an, I'm already training the Mark I to, to do that. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm way ahead of the development curve on this for you here. Now, <laughs> I mentioned earlier that I was going to replace you with the, you know, a Mycroft unit. But it sounds to me like until they, until you hit the part where you can't tell whether it's a person or not, that might not be as easy to sell. I mean, uh, like I'm here with Matt Watson. I mean, it's got to sound like Matt. It's got to maybe look like Matt. We have that. We did, we uh, there's a blog post today or tomorrow. The new voices are out. Mm. They're fantastic, and the library is called Mimic. And the reason it's called Mimic is because with a big enough sample of your voice we can actually make it sound just like you. Oh, that's scary. And so I think we're going to need to have Mycroft as a guest here on the that, To me, that's actually sort of terrifying be <laughs> because that's when you, you get to the point where people do some really malicious shit. And people will always use new technologies yeah. maliciously. There's not absolutely like, zero. You let's can do teach about. it to talk like Donald Trump and like, like there's a company, <laughs> you know, that kind of shit, right? Like that's in, scary. In uh, Montreal uh, called Lyrabird that actually has a voice synthesizer that sounds like just like Donald Trump, yeah. which they used a machine learning algorithm to build. So that's scary. 
It is coming. That's really cool, though. <laughs> it it's is coming. really cool. Uh, I but it's also a, really scary. <laughs> I have a bet with my assistant that uh, Amazon is running this whole campaign right now about uh, Alexa losing its voice, right? I'm yeah. sure you've seen it. Yep, yep, you, yep. Super Bowl commercials yeah. and stuff, yep. Um, I think it was February 20th that it's coming out. I have a bet with, with uh, Eric, our head of business development, that uh, one of the voices will be Scarlett Johansson. So we'll find out I if I could get into that. Uh, because I mean, why not, right? Because of the movie Her, which is really yeah. what, in a lot of ways, sparked all of this investment in voices, the movie Her. You know, that, that's kind of an interesting concept. And, you know, I did think about that earlier. And you look at, you know, here's a guy and all these people that are, their best friend is this little machine. And, you know, that's clearly learning everything about them along the way. But what wasn't there a scene in that where, like, it had, like, a, a little glitch you know, it was like reset or it had something go on. The guy, you know, the guy freaked out. Oh, and yeah, that it had gone away, that he had built an emotional connection with it. It's it's one of the reasons that we made the Mark One anthropomorphic was so that we could communicate emotional context using facial features and uh, that we, we would have some additional mechanisms to communicate back and forth with the user other than just the voice. How, how does it deal with sarcasm? Uh, they actually have a sarcasm default skill. So if you ask it the wrong question, it'll repeat it back to you in a high voice or make fun of you. There is a somebody has built one. It is kind I'm of in. amusing. I'm in. So, yeah. I mean, I, I so some of the things that I want to program Mycroft to do is give my wife a compliment with my voice every day. And order flowers every week automatically? No, that gets expensive, dude. <laughs> Maybe just, you know, I think the compliment. Twice a year. Yeah. But on like really odd days, like February. oh, you should make it sound like you. And so, like every day, like after dinner or something, if she makes dinner and it can tell that it says you did a great job making dinner today, babe. No, it might. It would be like, hey, have you made dinner yet? <laughs> but and Jill, if you're listening, I do love you, and you're laughing about that right now. So, I mean, what you know, I, I think some of the other things that I would probably be, you know, programming Mycroft to do would. Probably be really related to being annoying to a lot of different people. I could really like, you know, probably do a lot of interesting things with it. I, I, I love what you guys are doing. I think it's really cool. I love the fact that this is happening here in Kansas City. Um, you know, we've had listeners in 59 countries. Where this isn't just about Kansas City. But for those of you that don't know where we are, we're doing some cool stuff here. We love to highlight that here on the show. Um, before we go, Matt. I, I, what would you program? What do you want to ask Mycroft or what are you going to program it to do? I think that's a really good question. I've, I think it would be cool to make it uh, integrate with something like Stackify for my team to be able to get alerts and talk to. I was thinking about that, that stuff for Stackify users, right. you know, like, cause here's the thing it, that might, your interface isn't always something that you're going to spend a ton right. of time in. And I could, I would imagine that sometimes people have errors that are occurring if they hit a specific threshold, you know, like, let's be real. Like, do you really look at every email you get or right. text message yeah. or any of that? And like, but actually having a voice, Hey, you have a problem here. Mm -hmm. Your business is failing right now. Yeah. I mean, to be able to reach in and give people alerts is, is certainly something that the voice can be used for. And uh, it's something that some of the proprietary platforms limit. So there, it's limited, you know, you can't do push notifications in some cases. Uh, you can't have access to the local hardware. This is another issue. And uh, and a big issue that people are having, especially when you talk about third-party integrations, is that there's no real monetization uh, to making a skill. mechanism to making a skill today. Okay, they're they're talking about doing some things, uh, but uh, my my uh, 
good friend Albert Wenger, who's at Union Square Ventures out of New York, he wrote a really nice blog post in, in 2016 about voice and the new platforms that are standing up. And it's got a big picture of Admiral Akbar on it and it says, it's a trap. Um, because, of course, if you build a skill and it run, is a runaway success, they have access to all of the interactions with the user. They have access to all the I.O. And it's only a matter of time before it becomes a built-in skill. And your great idea is now something that's part of the yep. local, yep. local operating I think, system. I think we need a startup hustle, the actual skill. Like, what would it say? Your business plan is too long. <laughs> it's called a one-pager, not a six-pager. <laughs> business plan. Yeah, exactly. Hey, there you go. Well, right. Yeah. That, if, that if would be the Matt Watson voice. If you're like, an investor... Wait, I, 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 Wait, a business plan? If your investor is asking you for a business plan, leave. <laughs> I mean, it would, be my, not bad would be my response. Like, I write them. If you're early stage tech, for example. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, the, if you know enough about the market to write a business plan, you should probably be talking to a bank. Like, I mean, it's, you know, I couldn't, we could never have written a business plan for Minecraft. What we had was a, was a concept. Um, and I'd like to point out that all of the business plans we did for Wicked were wrong. Uh, Brad Feld's on the record is saying, I don't know what your revenue projections, the only revenue projections I've ever seen that were accurate were the ones that projected zero, right? Um, projections are a myth. We've, we've established that. That in software doesn't really work. <laughs> Just in general, like, like there's no well, software that actually works all I mean, the that's way. why Stackify is in business, right? Yeah. I was uh, at a consulting job the other day and I mentioned that and, uh, they were saying something about Microsoft Word and the billions they put into it, and then it has like 10,000 known errors. I'm like, God, I feel so much better about everything I do all day. Um, Mycroft, tell everyone that we will see them in the next episode of Startup Hustle. Yeah, we could do that. Or if somebody's listening and has a Mycroft unit on their desk, uh, uh, hey, Mycroft, say Startup Hustle rocks. By the way, before we go, you got to figure out how to prevent that. Your COO—that <laughs> actually, actually will do it. I want you to know this. Yes. Your COO actually sent me a video where he had programmed Mycroft to shame Ku, the Jayhawks, and and tout Mizzou. See, you can customize it to do anything. Isn't that, that awesome? Yeah, it, 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 that was malicious, and I just yeah. felt like it was wrong. And who really would support Mizzou? and feel good about it or take time to program somebody, somebody who's not, not a Jayhawk. There's some, there's some, most people listening aren't, but I get it. There's I'll, some give, you, I'll give you a little fist bump for yeah. that. I'd, I'd program my Mycroft to do the rock chalk Jayhawk thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway. and that, you know, and that's, that kind of brings customization up. Like, yeah, you want it to be a Mizzou fan. You want it to be a Jayhawk fan. You want it to be, you know, a male voice, a female voice. You want it to have be sarcastic or not, you know, all, all of these things are things that are coming and uh, and hopefully we're the company bringing it to people. So that's pretty exciting. Well, Josh, thanks for coming by. For those of you that have been listening, go check out Kickstarter. You can also go to Mycroft. That's M-Y-C-R-O-F-T dot A-I. Get a lot of information about the company. Uh, that's where your community exists, right? Yeah, we've got a really, really active community, both in chat and in the forums. Um, you know, we are getting a lot of traction because of the Kickstarters and others. So if you just search Minecraft and Google, we're like nine of the top 10 results. Um, and, and what does it cost to buy one of these things? Uh, so you can buy a Mark one for $179 that we're shipping those now. Uh, the Mark two is a little less expensive, but of course we don't ship until December 4th at 5 PM. And we have a very specific ship date and time. So to me, this, uh, this would be a fun project yeah. to uh, mess around with my son. Yeah, I agree. Like to like highly customize 
jack around with and do fun stuff with like STEM learning kind of stuff. I've got, I've yeah. got one on the way and I'm going to have some tricks up my sleeve with yeah. that one for sure. Steve's, so. uh, Steve's kids uh, bolted it to a robot for the, uh, one of the STEM challenges at their high school. Uh, they bolted it on as the head and they voice control the robot. So there you go. Yeah. Nate Tomasi, I know you're listening to this. Your revenge will be, will be applied. Brock Chuck. <laughs> See you guys next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.